0: Christmas is more than a manger, a star, a moment. Christmas is a grand and glorious story. It's a story about Jesus, Christ the Savior, and God's glorious work of redemption for the world. This story begins with a promise and fulfills ancient prophecy. It's an announcement of God's plan for salvation. His arrival is good news for you and me. And that's what we've been studying through as a church, uh, the promise and the prophecy, the announcement and tonight the arrival. um, Oh, come let us adore him. It is just wonderful to have you with us tonight. Uh, My favorite Christmas was 1977. I was a sophomore in high school. Um, The year prior, 1976, uh, our family had started a little business in our basement, and uh, in 1977, my dad uh, stepped away from his regular job to kind of lay it all on the line to see if the little business would get going. It actually led to Christmas 1977. That was the Christmas of one present. Um, My mom and dad, uh, I could say it this way, there was no money at the inn at the Helmers house at that time. And in fact, I learned later that my mom and dad had gone to um, my uncle and borrowed some money Borrowed some money to keep food on the table and also borrowed some money for us to be able to have some Christmas gifts on the youngest of three brothers. And I still remember the evening when mom and dad pulled us all together and we knew things were really tight. We didn't know really how tight they were, uh, but they said, here's the deal. Um, This Christmas is going to be one present under $20 and you are welcome to give us any suggestions that you might have. It was a pretty easy answer for me after I thought about it. I wanted a light blue Adidas duffel bag. I mean, it was the thing at the moment. And in particular being that at the time, it was basketball season was getting underway. And during Christmas and New Year's, it was the time where we would go, and even though school was off, we'd have back basketball practice. And so I still remember the, the first time I went off to uh, practice with my new light blue Adidas duffel bag. And uh, it was a pretty cool moment for me. I remember the second time that I went that week with my light blue Adidas duffel bag, because after practice, when I came out in the locker room, it had been stolen. Yeah, feel bad for me. Absolutely, feel bad for me. I hope that person enjoyed it. Not. Um, not bitter about it. Actually. It's interesting. I started by saying my favorite Christmas was the Christmas that the one present I got, got stolen the second time I used it. As I think about that, the best gifts are wrapped in reality. There's a story that surrounds it. The best gifts are wrapped in real. And when we think about a baby, Wrapped in a manger. I got to tell you, that's real. And the best gifts are wrapped in real. I just want to take a little bit of time focusing our attention on Matthew chapter 1. If you have your Bible with you, would you turn to Matthew chapter 1? If you didn't bring your Bible with you, feel free to grab one of the Bibles there in the seats. It's page 757. It's the opening verses of the New Testament Matthew chapter one is not normally the chapter of scripture that is read like on Christmas morning before you open gifts. It's usually not even the passage that's read on Christmas Eve or Christmas Eve Eve uh, at Christmas time. Matthew one is kind of a unique chapter and it's unique with the Christmas because there is no, well, there is no traveling to Bethlehem in Matthew chapter one. There's also in Matthew chapter 1, there's no story about the no room at the inn. In chapter 1, there's no star. In chapter 1, there's no shepherds watching their fields at night. There is the arrival of Christ. But Matthew is writing in such a way that, well... I want to just take a few in it tonight because I think actually as a church family, as we've been leading up to Christmas, it fits well. Promised one, prophesied one, the announced one, and Matthew kind of picks it up, and I just want to make some comments about it. Matthew chapter one is one of the the reasons it's not read on Christmas is because it has this lineage list. You know, all the long, hard names. That are really hard to pronounce, and the kids just get totally thrilled when you read it. It has this lineage list, and I want to make uh, some inputs on it. The New Testament begins with a lineage list, and you go, "Why?" Well, number one, it's because the first sentence is the big sentence in the list. In verse one, uh, the literal Greek Testament says, Bis, "Biblos Genesis." Yeshua Christos, son of David, son of Abraham. Let me make a comment on that because I'm trying to get heady with you. Uh, I just want to make a comment on a couple of those words. Biblos. It begins with that word. It means the history of, the the telling of, the accounting of, the record of. This is a record. And it says a record of the geneseos. It's genesis. Uh, That sounds like genesis, right? That's the idea. It's the record of the beginning of, the starting of, the origin of. The next word is Yeshua. That's Jesus. Uh, Yahweh saves. By the way, Jesus is a human name. It's a human name. Uh, Yeshua, and then it has Christos, Christ. Uh, That is not a human name, that is actually a title. So we go from a human name now to a divine title of telling us who this is. It's a human one that carries a divine title of, and then it fills in the son of David. If if Jesus is not in the line of the son of David, then Jesus is not the promised one, the son of Abraham. If Jesus is not in the line of Abraham well, then we should really just pack our Bibles up, go home, change Christmas to a different name, and I need to look for a different job. Because if Jesus isn't in the line of David, in the line of Abraham, then he's not the promised one that was the prophesied one, the announced one, and the one who has arrived. That opening statement is a big statement. We're not talking about just anybody. We're talking about one who is unlike any other one in all of human history. It opens with a big statement. And then you have all the names in there. I'm not going to go through it. I'm not going to read it, but just uh, uh, three things about it. Um, the first sentence is the big sentence. Second, the in-between sentences are more than just a list of names. Um, It has Jews and Gentiles in it. Here, Matthew is a Jewish man, former tax collector, and he includes in this list these Jews and Gentiles in the royal lineage list of Jesus. Boy, that's an important thing because it's not just Jews, it's Jews and Gentiles. Also in the list are men and women, 40 men. And four women. Including women in a list like this back in that day, it was not abnormal, but it was also not expected all the time. And not only does it have Jews and Gentiles, it has men and women. By the way, which is so fitting uh, 40 men, four women. Uh, four women. Uh, um, in that, um, I'll note, Jesus, unlike the ones of his day treated women with honor and with respect and kindness and love. It's fitting that these four women are in there, Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba, at least three of whom were Gentiles. We have Jews and Gentiles, we have men and women, and we have saints and sinners in this list. David. We've, as a church, studied in David 1st, 2nd Samuel. David is the guy who's termed as a man after God's own heart. Oh, by the way, we also learned that David was an adulterer, a murderer, and I think it's probably fitting to say a kind of a weak dad. We have Abraham, a Hebrews 11 hall of faith man. Who struggled to trust God was going to do what God said he was going to do? He struggled with that. We also have in this list Tamar. She enticed her father in law. Who? You have Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute. You have Bathsheba. It's interesting. Even Matthew is a former tax collector. In verse 6, he doesn't say her name, he says the wife of Uriah. Interesting. Jacob, Jacob was a conniver. Solomon. Solomon had issues. Jews and Gentiles, men and women, saints and sinners, a royal lineage that's tied to royally broken people. And that gives me hope. That should give us hope. The last sentence, or almost the last sentence, mid-verse 16, it's the exclamation point. It starts with a big statement. It, it has these in-between sentences that are telling us more about who he's tied to in this lineage. And then it finishes with this exclamation point. It says, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David. Here's the point. This Jesus who was born, who we celebrate at Christmas, comes from a royal lineage. Oh, it's a royal human lineage, which is important to understand in light of what's about to come next. Because from a royal human lineage comes a royal divine birth. Follow with me here just for a few. Uh, Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Here's this young couple, and they have a divine pregnancy. Not a normal pregnancy. And how do they handle that? It's intriguing to me. Matthew doesn't tell us anything about their family. He doesn't go into how they met, whether they were high school sweethearts, or whether they were tall or short, good-looking, or average Uh, He doesn't tell us anything about that, um, but he does tell us that they were betrothed. That means they were pledged. In our day, it's it's the word engaged. They're engaged. They're going to be married. But they have a situation on their hands. Mary's pregnant. And Joseph wasn't a part of that. Before any physical intimacy... Mary is found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And you go, how can that happen? Well, I would just say, go back to Genesis chapter one. And in creation, it tells us that God said and it was. So all God has to do is say and it is. Go to Psalm 139 and it tells us that God formed us in the mother's womb. Life has value in the womb. So, God can make that happen. But I think we would agree it's not the normal way it happens, right? That's just not the norm in how it works. You see, it's a divine pregnancy, unlike any other pregnancy in all of human history. Something is unique about this pregnancy. Verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. They're not married. But in that day, they would, people would call them husband and wife. Pastor Nate, I think last Sunday, uh, termed it right when he gave the idea that betrothed was an engagement souped up. It was tu- turbocharged engagement. And they would call husband and wife in that. And that's why Matthew uses this terminology that he resolved to divorce her quietly. Now there's something in that that one could react to that and go, "Man, uh, kind of isn't Joseph being a bit of a loser in this? I, I mean, he's bailing on his his girl when she needs him most. Actually, Matthew is showing us the character of Joseph in this. You see in that day uh even for a fiancé, in an engagement, the legal thing in this situation to do was to divorce in the way that they had it. But they had a divine situation in their hands. And just think about this. Now, this is before Joseph knows any divine information from God. He's just trying to deal with the situation that he learns of. Imagine if, if that was you, or you are engaged to, some, to someone, and you find out that she's pregnant, and you know it's not by you imagine what you'd be feeling and thinking. I can just imagine that Joseph is shocked and hurt, likely angry in this. And yet in it, it's it's telling us that Joseph was unwilling to put Mary to shame. So he resolved to divorce her quietly, required of him by the law to do that but we're informed he's not doing that in the typical way. What would be the typical way that that would happen? Answer, go loud, and go public, and seek to shame. Post it online. Uh, That's how it would have normally been done at that time, but not Joseph. Joseph loved Mary. There's no question about it. And yet in the heat of it, God shows up. Verse 20. And her husband Joseph, I'm sorry, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name what? Jesus. For he will save his people, from their sins. Joseph is divinely informed. He's told, I love it, uh, do not fear, Joseph. And how kind of the Lord to say that. He's also told by the Lord, uh, take Mary as your wife. Marry her. He's also told here by the Lord uh, through this angel, uh, she's pregnant by the divine work of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's gotta blow your mind. That's also kinda of gotta make you go, phew! Now I'm more informed. And then well, we're told in this that Mary will bear a son. No more of that, is it gonna be a boy? Is it gonna be a girl? You just know right from the very get-go, a son. And then uh, uh, no name books needed. That was books are back in my day, our day, in that. Uh, his name will be Jesus. Oh, thank you! We don't have to worry about that. His name will be Jesus. Yeshua saves. He will bring salvation, and that's what fits to the very last statement: He will save his people from their sins. A divine knowledge about a divine pregnancy that has a divine purpose of slaying the dragon of sin. I will note that the angel doesn't tell Joseph that this baby boy will immediately sit on the throne of David it doesn't say anything about that. He doesn't say anything about he will bring global peace. It doesn't say that he will quickly uh, bring everybody's best life now. It doesn't say that. He doesn't say that he will resolve poverty and global warming. But he does tell about the most important thing. That he will be the savior that will slay sin. Friends, the biggest issue in all of life is the issue problem of sin. There's a lot of things we're talking about nowadays that are problems in our world. There's a problem that's way bigger than all of those put together. And it's the issue of sin. Romans 3:23, "All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God." Romans 6:23, "For the wages of sin is death, That's spiritual death, separation from God. We have a separation problem from God because of sin. And we need a savior." And by the way, Ephesians chapter 2, it can't be done by works. No one can earn their salvation, it's impossible. And that's why this is so important because the reality in this is that this baby is the solution to the biggest problem that I have, that you have, that we have, and that is the problem of our sin condition. And this baby is the one who is going to slay it. And that's why Christmas is so awesome. You see, it takes a divine person. It takes God in the flesh to deal with sin. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him will not perish but I have everlasting life. That's why Christmas is so magnificent. That's why Christmas is so oh, behold the glory. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Understand, God is not bringing a feeling. God is not bringing an aura. God is not bringing some spiritual pixie dust. God is stepping in, the second person of the Trinity, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves making that available to all who would receive. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife Mary, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. I think Matthew doesn't give the whole manger scene because Matthew wants to try and have drive home a bigger point. It's not about how many cows were in there, or how many sheep were around, or even whether there was a drummer boy or not. Matthew is trying to help us understand what this is all about. It's about one who is promised and prophesied and announced coming from the human lineage of David and Abraham, who has arrived and is born. And it is not a birth with a twist. It is not like, you know, a a birth that is commendable and kind of gotten a little bit torqued out of its reality. Actually, it is the reality. The manger scene isn't even the important scene. The scene that is the most important scene is the fact of human lineage, divine birth. Unlike anything else in all of human history, the savior has come to slay the dragon of sin. Behold the glory. Behold the glory. We're going to sing a few Christmas songs here, a few more. Um, One of the things that can tend to happen with Christmas songs is they're so familiar that we just sing right past the words. Uh, We're going to sing three Christmas songs, and The first two are two of my very favorite ones. I would like to ask of you that you work hard, as we sing these songs, to pay attention to the words. The first song that we're about to sing, it begins with a question. What child is this who lays to rest? There's actually no better question In all of history, this is the most important question that one could ask. What child is this? Sing that song and it says, It is Christ. That's a divine title, the King. The next song tells us then how to respond. Fall on your knees. for us Americans, we don't fall on our knees. In our American mindset, our independent mindset, we don't bow to anyone. But the song begs us to fall on our knees before this one. You see, because this is not just a birth with a twist. This is the promised one, the prophesied one, the announced one, the one that has arrived. And it is the most important birth in all of human history. A props to this one, a high five to this one. It just doesn't fit. Let's pay attention to what we sing here. Listen to the words. Who is this child who lays to rest? Is he really worth falling on our knees? Lord, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the act of Christmas. The glorious work of the birth of Christ. Because the birth of Christ led to the death of Christ on the cross, which led to the resurrection of Christ from the grave, which led to the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ, being the one who reigns over all. And if that is true, this is a season to behold unlike any other. Oh, behold the glory. In Christ's name we pray.